Hello, Health Investor. Welcome to another episode of the Health Investment Podcast. Today, you're going to hear from Cinny Ninkovic. Cinny is known as the untethered guy. He's a Berkeley MBA and Silicon Valley professional who turned into a digital wellness guru. After a lifelong struggle with digital dependency, Cinny quit his job at Apple to live in a van and untether from tech. Along the way, he learned that the key to inner harmony wasn't found in abstaining from technology, but in redefining our relationship with it. The tools he discovered for himself were so transformative that sharing them with the world has become his personal mission. At the end of 2021, Cinny released his book, Untethered, and started traveling globally as a speaker and digital wellness educator. In his engaging talks, he teaches us about our tech dilemma and shares a vision of a long-term future where we overcome distraction and truly embrace our devices without being tethered to them. In the episode, he shares unique advice for becoming more untethered from your phone, why it's important to think of your smartphone as something you're in a relationship with, how his relationship with his smartphone looks different from most people's, and more. But before we get to the episode, I quickly want to share one of my favorite resources with you, thrivemarket.com. I don't know about you, but I used to think that eating healthy meant I had to spend a lot of time and money at the grocery store. That is until I discovered Thrive Market. Thrive is an online grocery shopping platform that's essentially a mix of Costco, Whole Foods, and Amazon. Since Thrive delivers groceries directly to your door, they're able to cut out all middle people and heavily discount their inventory. When I buy groceries on Thrive versus going to my local supermarket, I save at least $20 per order. And I'm able to fill up my cart from the comfort of my couch. To read my full Thrive Market review, steal my shopping list of over 150 items, and save additional money on your first order, visit thehealthinvestment.com slash thrivemarket, or just click through the link in the show notes. And one more thing, if you've struggled to lose weight and keep it off, I'd love to connect with you in my group or one-on-one -on -one coaching program. Unlike one-size-fits-all, restrictive, quick-fix diets that only provide short-term results, I help my clients master the skills needed to lose weight permanently, feel completely in control of cravings, have steady energy throughout the day, and create a personalized nutrition plan so they can stick with healthy habits long-term. To learn more about my coaching programs, visit thehealthinvestment.com or follow me on Instagram at thehealthinvestment. All right, let's hear from Cinny. Enjoy. I'm Brooke Simonson certified nutrition coach and your host of the Health Investment Podcast. If you're ready to look and feel your best without any confusion, frustration, or stress, you're in the right place. Each week, I interview experts and share no-nonsense, research-backed tips so that you can finally lose weight for good, eat healthy long-term, have the high energy you crave, 
and feel like a million bucks. I'm so happy you're here with me today. Don't forget to hit subscribe so that you never miss an episode. Hi, Cindy. Thank you so much for joining me today on the Health Investment Podcast to talk about this very much needed and unique topic for this podcast, at least, of technology dependence and kind of what we can do about it. I can't wait to dive into this. Thanks very much for having me, Brooke. I'm, I'm very excited to have this conversation with you. Can you tell us a bit about your background and specifically what led you to become fascinated, I guess, by digital distractions in the world? Yeah, totally. So I, I spent the past, well, over a decade um, helping tech companies um, bring new products to market. And that ranged from electric cars to, to laptops and smartphones. Um, so I had, I had quite a bit of experience of helping these companies bring products to market that uh, engage their customers better. And it was about end of 2019, I was at Apple at that point, helping them uh, bring some of their new technologies to market. And I just got very burned out being at Apple. And there was, there were two things that happened. One, one of them was, you know, Apple buses in, in the Bay Area, they are like private commuter shuttles between Cupertino and San Francisco. I'm sure you're aware of that living in Oakland. Um, yeah. And so every day I was on the bus for about an hour. And I did that for two and a half years um, in each direction, one hour. And in those two and a half years, being on a bus with basically the same people every single day, I did not make a single new friend because all of us mm. were just attached to our devices, on our laptops, on our phones, not talking to the people who were sitting left or right from us, which is such a sad human story for me. And then another experience I had was as I was flying from Europe to San Francisco, I noticed myself pulling up my smartphone without obviously having internet access and just starting to play around, opening apps, closing apps. There wasn't really anything I wanted to do, but I just felt my, felt this urge to be on my phone. And then I look, looked to the right and there was this um, guy mid thirties and he was on the United app because that's the only app that had internet access. <laughs> and he was reading the United app for like 10 minutes, an app that he might've never used before. And then I was looking to my left and there was this elderly woman, I would say in her sixties probably. And she had this big iPad, no internet access. And she found an old Google doc that she opened up and started reading just so mm -hmm. she could connect to her iPad. Um, and that was a moment where I was starting to question whether these urges were, were healthy for us or not. And so end of 2019, I, I left the tech industry. I left Apple and started investigating. And by April of 2020, I started writing about this topic. I talked to a lot of experts in this field from uh, near near Eyal, who wrote the best-selling books, uh, Hooked and Indistractable, to Tristan Harris, who is behind The Social Dilemma, to Francis Hagen, who is the Facebook whistleblower. Um, I talked to yeah many, many experts in this field and, and investigated what we can actually do about this topic. Wow. Everything you described, I can relate to, and I'm sure listeners can as well. I think I've even read about it described as phantom buzzing you'll even feel if your phone's usually on vibrate or if your phone usually has the sound on. 
Even if you leave your phone at home, let's say, you'll be out and you'll think you hear the ding or you'll think you hear it buzz. And it is pretty crazy when you stop and think about how many, probably hours for most of us, we spend on our phones, mindlessly scrolling, maybe intentionally scrolling or computers for business or I don't know, just so many digital devices. There's just myriad of them at this point. Um, On your website, I always like to kind of do a deep dive into guests. And I loved something that it says. Uh, You or someone wrote, our smartphone is not just a tool. It is a device we are in relationship with. The sooner we realize this, the quicker we can regain control of our attention and happiness. It is possible to have an untethered life without replacing your smartphone with a dumb phone. And I really like that last part because that seems very practical. I think if you're telling everybody, you know, go back to your first Nokia phone or your flip phone, whatever you had, <laughs> that's probably not not going to happen if we're being realistic at exactly. this point. So I, starting things off, you're not suggesting that we just get rid of all of our smart devices, correct? Yeah, I think that's uh, that. I can confirm that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I would. Um, well, in, let's let's say, in in the beginning when we started figuring out that there are some dependence issues uh, between us and our devices, um, a book came out. I think it was 20, 2017 by uh, Catherine Price, and it's called mm-hmm. "How to Break Up with Your Phone." And back then, our idea was still, we can do this. We can break up with these phones, we can put them aside and and not really have them engage too much in our lives. Well, what happened between 2017 and 2021, every year we actually added one hour to our technology consumption. So instead of reducing it back then, the, the theory of pushing our devices away has actually led to us increasing our consumption by an hour every single year. So as of last year, uh, we are at about 12 hours per day that we spent uh, connected to media. And that's mm-hmm. significant considering that we sleep for another seven. <laughs> there isn't really yeah. much time left. And if this, if this cycle keeps on going where we just add an hour, then in a few years from now, there will be literally no time spent with anything else. So that's quite concerning. Um, at the same time, being realistic, we can't really give up our devices. So, my, my question was always, what can we actually do um, without losing productivity, without losing our ability to, to be part of society and to work? And the book was then written with the idea that maybe we had a wrong perspective about this device, the smartphone in our life um, for the past few years. Maybe we have to change the way that we look at it. Mm. As you're talking... Um... I work as a nutrition coach outside of hosting this podcast, and it makes me think exactly of kind of old school advice might be just give up everything that you love that, I don't know, comes in a package or a box of Mm -hmm. cookies, crackers, candy, you know, just quit cold turkey. But the more you think you can't have something, the more you probably end up craving it. And it's just not helpful advice. So to kind of embrace the idea and learn the skill of how to adopt everything in moderation so that you're prioritizing nutrient-dense foods most of the time, but still allowing for things like cocktails and wine and, you know, cookie here and there. It makes me, it just kind of mirrors that. Is that sort of your philosophy of let's, let's approach this in sort of an everything in moderation way? 
Yeah, I, I think that's part of it. Um, I, the, the way that I can describe my philosophy in like maybe a couple of sentences is what if our smartphone wasn't or was no longer just a device, right? What if it has upgraded itself into becoming our primary partner in life? What if it's rather a relationship rather than just a device like a hammer or a blow dryer? Um, and the difference between those is, is quite obvious to me at this time, where you use a hairdryer just for the purpose of drying your hair, and then you put it away and you never think of it. Similar with a hammer or a screwdriver, uh, these are devices and, and, and hardware and tools that you use for a specific purpose. But with our smartphone, it, it feels quite different because it's in our mind constantly. It's used for so many different things that we've developed some kind of attachment to it. An attachment that we have to our parents, our siblings, our um, romantic partners, it's more comparable to that attachment. And so in my head, I'm now thinking of my smartphone as my primary partner in life. And with that mindset, the biggest question that I have for myself is how can I make this long-term relationship a healthy one rather than a distracting one and a toxic one for both of us? Wow. Okay. <laughs> That's illuminating, but also terrifying at the same time. <laughs> the way you're, but it makes so much sense. I know we're not on video right now, but as you were saying that my mouth's open and my eyes are open wide, I mean, that's crazy. And that is one of the things that stood out to me in that quote I read from your website, how you say our, our smartphone's not just a tool, it's a device we're in relationship with. Mm -hmm. I've never thought about it that way. And again, it's kind of creepy, but it's so true. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, I would, I would, when, when I look at my device, I, I see something that is more close to a human being than to a tool. And, and why I say that is because we all know that the closest five, 10 people, five to 10 people in our lives, they make up who we truly are. We're very similar to them and similar our smartphone, the most used five to 10 apps on its software is what makes up our smartphone. And if those apps are toxic ones and are constantly distracting us, then so will our smartphone be a device of distraction. Um, so it, it, is, it is easy to compare from that perspective. And it, the biggest advantage of changing our mindsets in this way is it makes the difficult questions have very simple answers. For example, uh, should you bring your smartphone with you when you go to the bathroom? Well, would you bring your romantic partner in there when you poop? Well, <laughs> most likely we wouldn't. So why are you doing that to your smartphone? Uh, yeah. Would you wake up your romantic partner at 2 a.m. in the morning to ask them what the weather is going to be like tomorrow? You probably wouldn't. So why are you doing that to your smartphone? Yeah, that's a really good point. Do you ever, uh, or have you ever seen any episodes of that show Black Mirror? <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, because there's so many crazy ones on there that kind of, you know, mimic what you're saying in terms of where tech could go eventually if it gets out of control. Um, very dark show, but also very illuminating in a lot of ways. And I think it's just good. I mean, I feel like the first step to making any change is identifying that something could be a problem or maybe you are in an unhealthy relationship with your phone, let's say, yeah. and then you can take steps from there to improve it. 
Totally, um, totally. Which I would love. I know you you have three steps you recommend to having a healthier relationship with digital mm-hmm. devices. When you say digital devices, are you meaning mostly a smartphone or are you meaning everything? Yeah, I think our smartphone has the biggest potential for dependency or, or addiction just because it's with us at all times. Certainly, mm-hmm. you can apply the tools to other devices as well. Um, but for me, the focus was always the smartphone. And and the okay, reason is, yeah. is, is simple. Like at this stage, nine out of 10 Americans feel uneasy with the thought of leaving their phone at home when they leave their home. And, and that is a type of relationship that uh, I don't know if you've ever been in, in one like this, but I certainly have where I was very attached to my romantic partner and I had a hard time imagining myself going somewhere without them. Well, mm. that is the kind of relationship that, Unfortunately, most of us are in right now with our phones where there's this toxic attachment to the other because we haven't made the step yet to acknowledge as as a long-term relationship that we have to establish concrete boundaries with in order to make it a healthy one. Mm, Yeah, yeah, that's a great point. What are the three steps that you recommend then for the healthier relationship? I think we're all dying yeah. to know at this point because <laughs> we're all in a toxic yeah. relationship and we're aware and now we got to get better. Yeah. So I, I kind of split up my book in, in three major parts. And the first part is focused on understanding, really understanding where um, or what is causing our desire to engage with the smartphone so much. And the five factors that I uh, identified there were the increasing complexity that we see in the world, which is driving a lot of our anxieties and it's driving us to something that feels safe and that feels controlling um, or controllable. Uh, The negative media bias that we obviously all have experienced over the past two years. Uh, Extractive algorithms, meaning companies wanting and desiring our attention so much that they would uh, upgrade the algorithms in a way that it's uh, affecting our well-being in negative ways. The abundance of choice that we're seeing in the world makes it very, very easy to spend a tremendous amount of time choosing and and working through the abundance of options that we have, but makes it very hard to stay focused. And then obviously the convenience economy that uh, gives, gives us most of what we need in life at the touch of a fingertip um, makes it very hard to connect with the world as it truly is rather than just seeing it through a smartphone. So those are the kind of five topics that I'm talking through in, in part one, which is about understanding the problem. And then part two is, is about adopting new mindsets. And one mindset we already kind of talked about, which is the idea of let's go beyond just thinking about smartphone as a tool, but thinking of it as a relationship. And then in part three, and I think that's the most interesting part for, for many people, I'm talking about very concrete tools that we can uh, utilize in every single uh, in every single day. It's I call them toolboxes. They are uh, eight different toolboxes that I'm representing, and and within of these toolboxes, the different frameworks that we can talk about in detail. Mm. What are a couple of your favorite concrete strategies, maybe for a beginner who's still very attached to their phone? Yeah, totally. Uh, so I, I make kind of this distinction between tactics and strategies. And tactics are things that, you know, when when you go online and, and you start searching 
about this problem, you will find a ton of Medium articles and, and Google search results talking about it. And the typical things that they will recommend are uh, to delete certain apps or to put your smartphone in, in grayscale mode, delete notifications or disable notifications. Those are kind of the, the standard recommendations that we're getting. And they typically work for a very short period of time. But as we're trying to establish this long-term healthy relationship, we, we need long-term strategies that work over extended periods of time. So some, some tactics that I use uh, that are you won't find online probably are, um, one tactic is I have a, a very, very short charging cord. The, the charging cord is probably like five inches, inches long. Hmm. And the reason there is that when my smartphone is, is charging and sleeping, I don't want to be disturbing it and that will less likely happen if the charging cord is so short that I can't actually bend over and use it while, while it's charging. Um, that's a yeah. tactic and things like that often work for a few weeks, maybe for like longer period of time. But what I want to focus on is really strategies. And my favorite strategy is, is a very simple one and I call it refocus on others. So let's put it this way. We, we, really suck at taking care of ourselves, but we are pretty great when it comes to taking care of other people. So for example, 8% of people achieve their new, re new year's resolutions, only 8% of people. Two out of three patients take their prescribed medications. So if you go to a doctor and you get medication prescribed that helps your health, only two out of three will actually take it for themselves. But 90% of pet owners give their pets the prescribed medication. Yeah. So we're really good when it comes to taking care of pets and other people, but not so much when it, when it comes to our own goals. And so this effect has been described in the past as well. Uh, it's, it's called the Hawthorne effect, and it refers to a tendency in individuals to alter their behavior in response to the awareness of being observed or to the awareness of being with somebody else. Um, and we can utilize this effect. So, for example, when we make a conscious decision to change something in our life, uh, about one in four people achieve it. When we tell somebody else that we had made this decision to achieve a goal, well, this number goes from 25% to 65%. And when we go a step further and we include accountability partners in our life to make sure we achieve this goal, well, suddenly it goes up to 95%. And this is the main strategy that I love for us to apply in, in the technology field as well, where we actually primarily try to help others to achieve their technology goals. The way that I do this in every single day is, uh, if I can't do it in person, I do it online, but I have groups of people that I co-work with. And uh, typically our sessions are an hour long. And for the first five minutes, we kind of change what our goals are for the session and what we're trying to achieve. And for the next 50 minutes, we make sure that we are uh, on our desk trying to achieve those goals, trying to become the future versions of ourselves that we want to be. And if I can't do it online, then I do it in person where I typically uh, I have like a two desk setup where friends of mine just come over and we co-work next to each other so I can make sure that they work on the things that matter to them. And sometimes that's just reading a book rather than watching YouTube on their phone. And other times that's uh, working on a passion project of theirs rather than just answering emails. Um, mm. And so when we focus on others, primarily others will help us achieve those goals as well. 
I love that. Uh, it makes me think too of, I think the friends that my husband and I have, we're all very conscious to typically keep phones away from the table when we're having a meal, let's say, mm-hmm. and focus on each other. But then maybe if we hang out with somebody that we're not normally hanging out with and they're on their phone the whole time, it's just kind of a weird vibe when there's somebody at the table on their phone all the time. And yeah. I don't know, it just helps like the, the peer pressure kind of like if everyone's doing it and there's more people holding you accountable, it helps you stick with it. Even if you have the urge to reach down and grab your phone, it's like, totally. well, we're all having a conversation and no one else is doing it. So Yeah. That's such a good point. Especially when somebody um, takes their phone and puts it in between you two. Um, there's actually a word for this. It's called fobbing. And uh, it, it feels like they are taking their partner, and that's back to my relationship reference, mm. and, and moving their partner right in between you and them. And so this disconnect happens because now they're in a private conversation with their partner and they've completely disregarded you. Hmm, interesting. Which I could imagine, too, if you're uh, having a dinner, let's say, with just your partner at home mm-hmm. and both phones are on the table in between you. Even if you're not looking at them, that could just even cause a certain tension that may not exist if you just removed the phones from the dinner table altogether. Yeah, and and there are actually studies even showing that when our phones are within of our line of sight, we use a, uh, we lose a couple of IQ points because our brain in in the background is running applications to make sure that we know when something happens on this device. How crazy wow. is that? That's really crazy. I mean, so you mentioned that popular advice, you know, when you're reading medium articles and stuff is to turn off notifications or I know friends get really mad at me because I never answer my phone because I just have it on do not disturb. Mm-hmm. So it never lights up, doesn't buzz, doesn't light up for texts or calls, which I guess probably could be a bad thing, but <laughs> I check it enough, I guess. So if somebody's really trying to get a hold of me that I would see if there's an emergency, but that has been huge for me in terms of, I don't get any notifications from news or from social media. So is that still a type of strategy you recommend as well? Yeah, those are super relevant. Um, I don't talk about them too much in in my book because I feel if anybody who has tapped into this field, even a little bit, um, has probably turned off the notifications already. Right. Um, and I, I've done that in 2015, that I, I haven't received email notifications since 2015. And uh, that certainly helps me keep up my sanity. So I, I typically don't talk much about um, tactics and strategies that are that can be found with one Google search. I wanted yeah. to dive a little bit deeper and, and give people... Um, strategies that that can help them execute in whatever way they want right for me it's co-working sessions uh that allow me to help other people who in return and help me with my uh phone dependency but uh and, and i'm happy to talk about another one and maybe this uh, this will also help uh, kind of figure out yeah. what i mean by strategy um yeah, I, I, love I, I love to give people the freedom to execute however fits best in their life and so the second uh, my second most favorite strategy is Uh, what I call structural intention. So when you think about a a typical American living room, what what do you see? What comes to your mind? A coffee table, a television, maybe a chair and a sofa. That's that's spot on. Um, Oh, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) 
most uh, most American living rooms are designed around the TV, right? So the, yes. the structural intention of, of the biggest room in our house is typically to be comfortable while watching TV. At least that's how we're designing uh, designing that room. Unfortunately, most parents are so unhappy with their children when they follow the design intentions of that room. And they're like, why are you laying on your sofa? Why are you watching so much TV? Well, <laughs> the reason is you've literally designed this room to be most supportive of that experience. Uh, so if we thought about structural intention, what other intentions could we have for literally the biggest room in our house? Well, for parents that might be connecting with the children, for uh, singles that might be having friends over and connecting with them, the, this intention would change the setup of, of the room. A friend of mine in San Francisco, his intention was to create playful connect, connection in that space. And what that meant in terms of the room design was that he had uh, a couple of sofas and, and meditation uh, pillows on the ground in, in circular fashion around two boxes that were in the middle and the boxes in the middle they had gadgets gadgets in them like massage guns for example or or foot massagers or or devices that uh help you stimulate your brain it, it was a ton of different things and so what happened typically when people uh, walked into into his living room was they grabbed a gadget they sat down they started playing with it and then somebody else joined them. They either took another device and they played, played around together with these devices or they explained to each other how they work. And there was an immediate connection that then uh, led to deeper discussions. And mm. if we think about our, our living rooms, I think there is a huge potential to bring new in intention to it and really figure out uh, what experiences we want to foster in those rooms. And similarly to that, when we think about a bedroom, Thankfully, not everybody has a TV in there, but it's quite common to see a TV in our bedroom, meaning this, this big screen shining bright light on us while we're trying to fall asleep <laughs> mm. is, is pretty much the opposite of the original intention behind a, a bedroom, which is quality sleep, right? And so bringing, bringing devices, uh, smartphones, or TVs into a room that is designed for quality sleep doesn't seem like the best idea to me. Mm. So is that, I know you give some tips for sleep quality and quantity in terms of digital devices. So are a couple of them to leave your phone out of the room and get rid of the TV? Um, yeah, I mean, that's that's a great starting point if, if when, when we think about intention. Um, I, yeah. I, for example, my bedroom does not have any windows. It's completely blacked out because I, I really... Uh, value my sleep and i wanted to make want to make it as as quality of sleep as i can get and i also don't have charging cords in my bedroom um, and that's probably because i'm a light sleeper and i have a hard time even sleeping with a partner in the same bedroom <laughs> and mm -hmm. so in my mind um because i'm such a light sleeper uh typically my my partner she would sleep in another bedroom and and that is is awesome because I get the sleep quality that I want, and my partner does too. And I, because of I, because of thinking of my smartphone in in similar ways, I actually have a corner that is is kind of a charging corner within a living room. So my smartphone has their own space to recharge and and sleep, and I have my own space to do so. Hmm, 
It's like you put the smartphone to bed. Exactly. <laughs> That's I like how I think that. about yeah. it. Tuck it in. <laughs> I like that idea. I like that. I thought I've heard um, people doing similar things of if it's tough to maybe not look at your phone or your kids at a dinner table to have like a box where everybody puts their phones before mm-hmm. mealtime or for a certain, I know I used to tutor for a family and their daughters had to put their phones in a box in their parents' room, I think, before they went to bed. And mm-hmm. so just little things like that, I think the, I thought that would be really hard for the parents to manage, but I guess the rule was if it's not in there by, I don't know, let's say 10 PM, then you lose it the whole next day. So they were wow. super good about it, getting it yeah. in there because that happened enough times where it's like, I don't want to lose it for 24 hours. That so, is amazing. I really yeah, like that idea. It's a, yeah, I thought it was such a cool idea. And, you know, for the, most part parents are the ones paying for the phone when kids are of a certain age. So it's this idea of, I kind of own the phone, right? You don't. And I don't know, I guess, unless you want to get an extra job and pay for it or have some type of independence, like it's mine. So put it in this box. But I think there's just so, so many things we Uh, can do. And I love how you're encouraging us to think outside the box. Yeah. I, I think at the end of the day, and you just described this so well, it's about the idea of knowing yourself. And uh, there's a concept I describe in my book, which is called the distraction danger zone, which comes from my personal experience that I, I know when it is when I am most likely to use my phones in ways that are not helping me become my future version, uh, the best future Mm -hmm. version of myself, but rather be distracted in this very moment. And for me, the distraction danger zone typically is between 6pm and 10pm. I'm kind of tired because of work. I have uh, less willpower and it's much much easier for my phone to send me a notification and then i click on that notification and i watch a youtube video here and there um that distraction danger zone is is most challenging for me and so i typically after 6 p.m i try to schedule social time with people because i know that will help me get off my phone and it will, will help them get off their phones and at the same time connect to each other and get to know each other better right it is so cool too. I used to be a high school English teacher and we would have retreats at the school and the kids would have to put their phones in a garbage bag on the bus on the way to the retreat. Wow. And, I mean, they would freak out at the fact of, I mean, if we think we're dependent on phones, these guys, it was an all boys school. These guys, I mean, this is the worst part so or so they thought for them. And so the phones would all be in the bag. They'd be on the bus. That bus trip would be rough. But then over the weekend, just the connection they got that was unprecedented compared to what they were usually getting, this more distracted connection with friends, you know, maybe never looking somebody in the eye or Mm -hmm. having a conversation without their smartphone present. And then it was just amazing to see kind of how they blossomed socially. And then on the bus ride back, we would give their phones back. And some of them would say, no, just keep it for a little bit longer. Keep it till we get to the school. Mm. I don't really want it yet. You know, we're playing this game or whatever. And it was really cool to see that transformation, but also just kind of sad of, you know, I think for us as adults, it's extremely hard to give ourselves these boundaries, but for a growing, not fully formed brain yet, I mean, it's even tougher, I think, for them. Yeah. And they've never even lived in a world 
where there weren't these smart devices. They don't even know the time when you had to call somebody's landline and ask to speak, you know, <laughs> get all nervous that the parents were going to answer and ask sure. to speak to your friend. And um, they don't, they don't know that that time they can't connect to that time. So do you worry about kids or do you think that humans are just adaptable and we'll all kind of figure it out? I would say both of it. <laughs> okay. Both is true. I mean, we are extremely adaptable. Um, one metric that I, that I like to use is, is uh, scientists have looked at our attention span and they kind of compared our generation. And I'm just assuming that you are a millennial as well. Um, yeah. And <laughs> and the Gen Z generation. And they figured out that millennials had about a 12 second attention span. And then Gen Z turned out to have an eight second attention span. And as soon as this research came out, everybody was extremely worried, right? Because losing a third of your attention span in just one generation uh, basically put Gen Z at the same level as a goldfish. And <laughs> that doesn't sound, wow. that sound, doesn't sound good. Um, but <laughs> new research that is coming out is, is, looking at it from a different perspective. And the new research is basically saying, well, they are able to understand the content of a message in a shorter period of time. So they're not, they're not uh, spending 12 seconds, they're spending eight seconds to figure out what we figured out in 12 seconds. So when they, uh, for example, they know that an ad is an ad earlier than we know that an ad is an ad. Um, I'm sure you had this experience as well where Maybe your parents or grandparents or other elderly people in your life, they send you a strange message where you, you know after reading it for two seconds that it's a scam, but they don't, mm. right? Mm. And similar for this Gen Z generation, they know the intention behind a message sooner than we do, and so they move on. Mm. And that's one of the explanations that we have for uh, their shortening attention span. So one can look at this from, from two different perspectives, but what is certainly true is, and there's a fascinating study by uh, the, the state of Ontario in Canada that has been, so the state of Ontario is, is running since 1977, every two years, they're running a mental health survey among uh, grades seven to 12, which I think in, in the North Americas is the longest running uh, such study. And so in 20, between 2017 and 2019, they found out that students increased their screen time by 20%. So in two years, 20% extra screen time. The effects that it had was that students reported fair or poor physical health uh, up by 24%, that they reported fair and poor mental health up by 41%, low self-esteem up by 41%, psychological distress up by 20%, suicidal ideation up by 20%. So there is a real effect as well that, that screen time has on a younger generation that is, is, is quite scary to think of. Yeah, for sure. That's, I mean, you described it well, how in some ways they're so adaptable, but the mental health toll I think is very scary when yeah. you start really reading about that. Yeah. And that's why and I, I think, just can't. Yeah, go, go ahead. <laughs> Thanks. Um, I, I, I think the responsibility that parents have today to create a healthy relationship with their smartphones for themselves is bigger than ever before because they are influencing mm -hmm. the relationship that their partners will have to their smartphones, that their kids will have to their smartphones. 
and by upkeeping a healthy relationship with their smartphones themselves, they can open themselves up to creating healthy relationships with their partner and their kids. That makes a lot of sense. The whole monkey see, monkey do thing. It's one thing to tell the kids something, but if you're doing something completely opposite, you know, actions speak louder than words. Absolutely. That's interesting. I'd love if you could kind of describe how your relationship with your phone looks different than most others throughout a day. If you could kind of walk us through your, I don't know, your life, if that's not a weird question. (laughs) (laughs) No, I think that's a great question. And I don't think for most of the part, it looks very different. Uh, If somebody Uh from the outside would, would see it, they wouldn't, uh, wouldn't see it to be a very different relationship. But there are a few things that you will like, likely not see me do. And, and that's probably the best way I can describe it, is when I wake up in the morning, my smartphone is not the first thing that I touch or use. Um, and it's, again, the relationship analogy would be if I'm an early riser and, and my partner is a late riser, then I don't want to be waking them up in the morning. So I want to do whatever I can to take care of my own health um, before I engage with the world. And that for me includes, uh, includes meditation, which is my um, kind of biggest goal in the morning and the hardest thing to do in the morning. <laughs> um, and includes taking care of my, my physical health, might be a short workout or might be a shower, um, getting some food in, and then I engage with the world and my smartphone. Um, so that's, that's probably the biggest part about my morning that is different. When I am talking to my colleagues, um, what I typically do is I use my smartphone as a webcam because it is a device that is created to connect with others. And so instead of having it next to me while I'm in a Zoom call and potentially being distracted by it, my smartphone is on a stand being used as a webcam so that I cannot get distracted by it. Mm. Um, When I'm in conversation with other people, My main rule is my smartphone is here to help me connect with others. So if I am using it while I'm with another person, I am disconnecting from them. So that's not the use that I want to have. So what I would do in in situations where I feel an urge or there is a necessity for me to use my smartphone, I would actually ask the other person and excuse myself from the conversation. And I would tell them I am in need of connecting with my smartphone. And I would go in a corner, I would go somewhere else and do that and then come back to the connection. Um, So those are some of the examples that I think where my life looks a little bit different. Um, And then the biggest one is obviously at night where I kind of focus my evenings around connection with other humans because I know that that is the point in time where I'm most easily distracted by um, apps like YouTube. Right, YouTube. That, that can be a real rabbit hole. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. It's just the, the next video, the next video. I mean, mm-hmm. all of the algorithms of all social media know you so well, but TikTok's another one that can really... TikTok is you. another one, for sure. <laughs> it lead you to a deep, dark hole. Yeah. Asked, well, it's, TikTok yeah. is an incredible one because as of last year, it's the most visited website in the world. It just overtook Crazy. Google. Yep. Yeah. I know. I just started getting on there for business purposes because mm-hmm. I think us millennials thought this is something that 13 to 17 year olds use, but right. it's incredible because everyone is on TikTok now. 
Um, so if you have a business and you're trying to promote yourself, it's kind of like you have you don't have to be on there, but it really can benefit you. So it's it's pretty absolutely crazy. it is it is it, it literally exploded. Yeah, it really did. I ask each of my guests a final question, which is, in your opinion, what does it mean to make the health investment? Um, so yeah, I, I think as far as I understand, that's uh, your one of your platforms, right? Yeah, it's <laughs> the, the whole platform across everything, the health investment. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So um, I, I kind of know a little bit of what it means, but if I had to guess before I read about it, I would have said. Um, it means making an investment into your own well-being, and mm. I kind of think that might might have been your intention with it. But um, yeah, to me, to me, it feels like that saying is is something that applies to the smartphone context as much as it applies to um, a weight loss context or any type of of physical or mental well-being context. I love all the tips you gave us today to think about making the investment in ourselves is not just the things we usually hear, but also this whole idea of your smartphone as something you're in a relationship with. I mean, I'm never going to forget that now. <laughs> it's going to haunt me, but in a good way. I hope in a I good already, way. <laughs> I mean, it is for sure, but I'm, I can already tell, you know, little changes I'm going to make here and there that I'm sure it's like with anything that even a small tweak can reap great rewards. Absolutely. Absolutely. And helping others make those tweaks. I think the examples mm. you gave around uh, parents and, and children relationship, th th those are wonderful examples of how uh, influencing somebody else can help you stay accountable to yourself as well. Yeah, for sure. Where can listeners follow and find you? Yeah, so my book Untethered um, is, is on Amazon. So if you type in Untethered and my name Sini, uh, you should find that book quite easily. Um, I also have a website, which is called askcini.com. So instead of asking Siri, you just ask Sini. Um, or uh, my main website is theuntetteredguy.com. Those are the easiest, the easiest ways. But um, outside of your wonderful podcast, there are obviously a ton of other podcasts as well. And I also have a blog that one can find under theuntetteredguy.com. Oh, cool. Do you use social media or do you just kind of stay away from it? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I have um, accounts on Instagram, so it's untetteredcini at untetteredcini. Um, but I, I try to stay away from it as much as possible. I'm actually currently uh, working with some marketing experts to figure out how I can uh, reach the right audience with this message, but at the same time, uh, try to stay away from social media as much as possible. And so some of the ideas could be text messages, email, um, which feel less tethered than the traditional mm. social media. Yeah, I love that. That's, I feel like once you're in business and you're using social media, not just personally, but for business as well, that becomes the ultimate goal of course, sort of how can I reach the people I want to reach without being beholden to these different platforms. So totally, that's totally. awesome. Yeah, and great I think goal. Twitter might be a great platform as well that I'm exploring um, right yeah. now. So. Yeah, I'm really intrigued by Twitter. I actually find that I learn a lot from different doctors and experts I find on there. Yeah. Um, it seems more for kind of the academic community, but mm -hmm. I really like that because it's, 
I don't know. There's something about it. It stands out from the rest. It's kind. It feels more kind of analog and less yeah. shiny than all the right. reels and TikToks and you know sh- whatever's going on and all the other right. stuff. But uh, right. yeah, I think that could be a cool. From what you've said here today, I, you could probably find a lot of kind of like-minded people on there or share your message pretty well on there. So I'll look for you. I'll look for you. Awesome. That sounds great. (laughs) Well, thank you so much again for giving us your time and all of your wisdom today. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Brooke. This was, this was a wonderful conversation. Well, that's all for today. Thanks again for joining me here on the health investment podcast. I'm so grateful for each and every one of my listeners. On your way out, remember to hit subscribe so that you never miss an episode. See you next week. All content in this podcast was created for general informational purposes only by a non-physician. None of the content should serve as a substitute for professional medical advice, treatment, or diagnosis. Always consult a qualified health provider with any questions regarding a medical condition and before making changes to your diet, lifestyle, and or exercise programs. Do not disregard any professional medical advice you have received or postpone seeking such advice because of something you heard on this podcast.